Welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 172. As always, a reminder, gentle or firm, to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Tell a friend at the other side of the world about our podcast. We're being heard all over the world. And you know where I want to be heard more today? Or I just want to be heard, period. I want to be heard in the nation in Southern Africa of Eswatini, which I was going through, scrolling through some scores from the international break, and I saw Eswatini scoreless with South Africa. And forgive my ignorance, I had no idea Eswatini was a country, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that, and if you're in Eswatini and you're listening to this, thank you for tuning in. It was the country formerly known as Swaziland, now Eswatini, and they'll begin their efforts to qualify for their first World Cup next month. We are here in the October window. It is all about the international game. Well, not everything. We have some interesting stuff happening off the field of play that we will discuss. Newcastle, not really affecting Newcastle, Manchester United. But we will focus on the international break. Joining me in the business and former decorated U.S. men's national team goalkeeper, Tony Miola, co-host of Counterattack on Sirius XM FC Channel 157. We will break down the United States thumping of Ghana. What a bizarre but exhilarating game that was. It was over at halftime. How often do we get to say that about a USA game? Against a top-tier nation, Ghana, one of the top teams in Africa, perennially in the World Cup. That said, something was very odd about their performance. We'll talk about that comprehensively with Tony in the business end. Monday night, I turned on Monday Night Football. It was the Cowboys and the Chargers. I watched it a little bit in English, a little bit in Spanish. John Sutcliffe was doing Monday Night Football, was doing a report, and I couldn't believe my ears. He said, since they were in SoFi Stadium, SoFi is not hosting the World Cup final. They're not hosting World Cup games in all likelihood, period. So, in check complete, I will break down what is FIFA doing, what is Stan Kroenke doing. I don't care who's at blame here. You don't have a World Cup in the United States without games in Los Angeles. You don't. You don't. We'll break that down, and hopefully things get figured out. That'll be later on Check Complete. A lot to discuss, a long way to go, and a short time to get there. This is the Soccer OG. We are back. Uh, a lot to discuss, including some topics that I have pointed out in previous episodes where I did say, I think three episodes ago, that England was going to win the Euros. I'm not saying they're the favorites. I'm saying England is going to win the Euros in 24 next summer. Can you believe next summer? Olympics. I know I'm not a big Olympics fan, but it's going to be the U.S. are in it, okay? The Euros, the Copa America with the United States and Mexico and Potentially, they have to qualify still in November. USA plays Trinidad and Tobago in a rematch of Cuba. Everyone's like, revenge! I go, do we really feel like that's a revenge match? Do we want to just smash Trinidad? I don't want to smash Trinidad. I just want to get to the Copa America. I don't think about who beat us in 2017. I just think about not qualifying for the World Cup. It's not like we owe Trinidad and Tobago some comeuppance. They did what they were supposed to do. I was really impressed with TNT that day. They died out there for their country and played a huge spoiler role. We're still talking about that result. And when we bring up Cuba, we bring up the Trinidad and Tobago effort. 
So no hard feelings there. I just want to win. But if they win by multiple goals, I'm fine with it. Getting back to England. Wow. And this uh, brings Italy into the equation as well. Um, England qualifying. It's been a great Euro qualification for Britain, right? Scotland is qualified. Wales beat Croatia. Wales, I think, is going to make it too. So that'd be three British teams, just like we had in 2016, where it was Wales who made a semifinal, Northern Ireland and England. But uh, England beating Italy 3-1. This was, I mean, Italy statistically um, were at least on, on a level playing field with England, but they were just, it was no contest. And you look at the, that Italian roster and you're like, where, where's the talent? Right? Skamaka up front. Um, I don't even know some of the... I, I mean, I, some of these defenders... Uh, Giorgio Scalvini, all due respect. I, don't, I know I don't watch enough Serie A, but this is not Bonucci and Chiellini anymore. You do have Donnarumma back there. Nothing really off the bench. It's like you, you knew the Italians, right? Back in the day, you knew the whole starting 11, even if you weren't Italian, even if you didn't like the Azzurri. You knew the whole team. It's just crazy, and it, it, I don't think they're going to make it. I'm going to ask Tony Miola later, uh, who pulls for Italy too. You know, his family's Italian. Um, if he thinks Italy's going to make it, they've missed the last two World Cups. You have all this horrible stuff going on. You know, Sandro Tonali now uh, reports that he bet on Milan games. I mean, he's like an Italian Pete Rose betting on his own team. What is going? These, these, uh, it's a variety of. Um, Fagioli also uh, with uh, betting on <laughs> soccer. It's just a mess for Italian football. I and mean, through it all, the City is having this resurgence the last two years. Italy just can't have good things, man. We really need Italy in these big competitions. I stand by it. That England Italy final at the last Euros was a World Cup final. I mean, France Argentina was an, a something else, but. Other than a couple other World Cup finals, that England-Italy final is one of the best finals I've ever seen anywhere. So uh, I don't want to poo-poo on Italy. I really, I'm not taking any pleasure in this. I want Italy in the major competitions. When you tune into a Euros in the World Cup and you're watching a game and and then they preview Italy next against Turkey or Italy next against North Macedonia, you're watching because it's Italy. Not that it's the most exciting brand of football or calcio. You're still tuning on, tuning in to see him sing the anthem, to see that Italian spirit, all of it. And um, it's we'll have to see if they can come through the back door for the Euros, but they're not going to come through uh, that group via qualifying, which is, you know, it's scandalous really um, to know what this country is capable of to fall on these hard levels. So England have qualified there in Group C. Ukraine are three points ahead of Italy. Ukraine have played an extra game. Uh, But Italy is going to have to do well in those November games. They have North Macedonia at home, and then they travel to Ukraine. So it's not impossible. But you look at the roster, you're like, where where are the goals coming from? Back to England. And this English team... We're kind of moving through that generation that did so well making a World Cup semi and a, a European final. And now they've they've moved on from those players. Like, you know, they're eventually they're going to move on from Harry Maguire. And uh, I don't know what's going on with Jordan Henderson, but there's not many of those guys from that or that last Luke Shaw, 
Kieran Trippier. Uh, but it's this new group of players. Uh, Harry Kane, obviously, is that old generation. He'll stick around, but I think they have some replacements for him whenever he decides to move on. He had an incredible goal where he just stiff-armed an Italian defender and scored. It was You, it, you just don't see it. You, maybe all these NFL games at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium rubbed off on him. We know he's an NFL fan. But you have Jude Bellingham, to me, the best player in the world right now. He... Um, he he's he is 20 years of age. He's playing as like a number 10 for club and country, although he played as an 8 as well, and I think he can make way as playing for an 8. Uh, Declan Rice is a very modern footballer. Um, midfield used to be a weakness for England. It's not anymore. Phil Foden, Marcus Rashford. I mean, Marcus Rashford's been around forever. He's 25, so he's getting up there. But then Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, um, Levi Colwell, you know, good young defender coming. Ollie Watkins, James Madison. Uh, Ollie's up there a little bit, 27. But he's England is the best team right now. I, I, Spain, Portugal, uh, the Germans are down. Um, whew, it is, it's, it's interesting. Italy are down. England's it, man. So uh, the Euros are, are taking shape. Um, there are some great stories. France have been incredibly dominant. Uh, they're probably the favorites, right? Um, Turkey wins their group clean. Croatia's in trouble. Albania's leading their group. Love to see them make it. Belgium have been so quiet. but And Austria, too, just ripping through the field. And uh, It's going to be an interesting Euro field, man. Uh, Portugal also. Perfect 8 for 8. 32 goals, 2 against. But they had a very agreeable group. World Cup qualifiers in South America. Venezuela has won again. They are going to the World Cup, man. I don't know how else to put it. They uh, beat Chile 3-0. So they're crushing teams at home and they're getting points away. By the way, Brazil losing to Uruguay. And I don't know the definitive injury report for Neymar. But it seems like an ACL. Really unfortunate images and maybe the end of his Brazil career, really, that keeps him out six to nine months. I know some people enjoy seeing this. Uh, I don't know how you could. I mean, Neymar is such a, a wonderful player to watch. I, take away some of the theatrics. And I enjoy the theatrics. It, it's an extra layer for me. But they lost to Uruguay. Marcelo Bielsa has been getting immediate dividends from the Uruguayans. This is a lesson. Uruguay leaned into their old guard for that Last World Cup, Suarez, Godin, you know, those guys. That old guard is gone. Marcelo Bielsa said, we're done. Um, uh, who's the book? Juniors. Uh, Cavani. So, Darwin Nunez, Nico de la Cruz. There's, it's, it's a big rotational. Obviously, Fede Valverde. Strong back line that was always there. Just depth at every position. Uruguay is good. South American teams. Um, Argentina lead the way. Four for four. Uruguay, Brazil, Venezuela, Colombia are the top five. Six teams go. Ecuador is sixth. I think the six that I just listed are your six World Cup teams. Paraguay's flawed. Chile's flawed. Peru's a mess. And Bolivia just don't have any talent. Argentina. Lionel Messi scored both goals. I, I, it's wonderful what he's done. This is great also because he's he said he is going to play the final game for Inter-Miami, which illuminates the final decision day of Major League Soccer. I will be in St. Louis, so 
I'm excited to, for St. Louis, Seattle. So much on the line in this game. Decision day. If you have MLS season pass on Apple TV, you're going to enjoy it. Tune in. Two big windows on the East and Western conferences. And if you don't have MLS season pass, go ahead and sign up for it, man. You'll really appreciate it this time around. Uh, there's a lot going. You get to see Messi one last time in 2023. And then hopefully 2024, he takes his place over. I want to see that. I want to see Messi mania, but with good results. Although I don't think it's going to be that easy. I think we have to reset things a little bit. Messi's amazing. But as I said in my last podcast, Argentina don't necessarily need Messi. They are going to win without him. I'm dead serious. They're so good. They don't give up goals. Messi's not helping the defensive effort. Eight straight games without conceding a goal now for Argentina. As they, uh, you know, the they also have ushered in new players with... Julian Alvarez, Alexis McAllister, Enzo Fernandez. And that process will continue, and it's an uh, endless pot of talent in Argentina. So South America has been great, and we get ready for Copa America as we move forward. I don't even know where to start and begin. There's so much to discuss. I had my little list of things. We'll go here to the U.S. We'll talk about the U.S. here shortly. I did want to say something for Michael Bradley. And I see some just idiots sending tweets diminishing what he did. You know, people really sometimes forget what an incredible career he had. I called the first USA goal for Michael Bradley. Fox Soccer sent us to Basel, Switzerland, me and Christopher Sullivan, and he scored the game winner as my first shot. I interviewed him afterwards. It was an incredible thrill for me. And I think when you saw Michael Bradley, you said, okay, this guy's going to get Maybe some benefits because his father's Bob Bradley. How could you possibly get benefits? Uh, uh, maybe you, you, you're exposed sooner to the game. You, you do have those advantages, but you, eventually you're on your own. And you don't go, I mean, he, he was one of the first to ever go to Europe and play uh, for big name clubs. And it was like this slow burn. He started with Herenveen in Holland, then Borussia Mönchengladbach, a big club. Uh, briefly with Aston Villa, Kievo, and then he opened the door to Roma, and then he couldn't have said no to a huge move to Toronto FC. But he had success at Toronto. That was a great team with Jovinko and Josie Altador. Michael Bradley, playing multiple positions wherever he needed him, didn't really complain despite things getting so bad at Toronto. And obviously he has to um, take some of that. And he got a lot of cr criticism. I gave it to him as, as well when the U.S., because he was the leader when the U.S. didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup. I would have liked to have seen the U.S. bring a new younger player, but looking back, there wasn't anybody. We weren't supposed to qualify for the World Cup. That was a reflection of where we were. And in, I think it was good we didn't qualify for a World Cup because it allowed us to hit rock bottom and replenish. And I think we don't do that correctly unless we hit rock bottom. A lot of places don't hit rock bottom and they miss that. You got to know what it feels like to feel that rock on your back. U.S. hit it. But that's not how we define Michael Bradley. He is the best number six we've ever had. He's a top 10 player that's created in the United States. We still don't have a number six that could hit balls like he does from sideline to sideline or upfield or even as a scoring threat he was. He's a very special player. So respect the name as I do. Michael Bradley, thank you for so many memories. Thank you for your incredible service. Thank you for showing the way for so many others. Because by the way, if you come back to MLS and you can make five, six million a year, uh, every player should do that. Every player. 
And as I said against the Saudi League, we keep talking about playing at the top leagues. Uh Uh-uh. Neymar went for the money. Cristiano Ronaldo went for the money. Several good young players went for the money. Top Brazilian players go for the money. They're not thinking about Champions League or Premier League. They would love to win those trophies, but it's still about the money. It's about the money for 99% of us. The Soccer OG, rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Uh, One last thing, Mexico tied Germany. I didn't watch the game. I'm going to watch it later tonight. I'm recording this on a Wednesday. Uriel Antuna had this incredible player rating. I can't wait to see it because it sounded like he looked like Diego Maradona in the 86 quarterfinals against England. That's how influential the number was when he played. I'm having such a good time, man. There's so much to talk about all over the planet. I love this sport. It's going to it's going to put me in an early grave because my brain can't fit it all. My brain's not the biggest to start off with, I know. I know. Time now for the business and thrilled to welcome in Tony Miola, US men's national team legendary goalkeeper, host of Counterattack on Sirius XM FC. The business end with Tony Miola is next. Time now for the business end, and it's long overdue that I've been able to welcome in a man I've actually been able to work with uh, on counterattack. You can hear him every day with Eric Winalda there on Sirius XM channel 157, correct? You got it, brother. I should know that. Tony, what's it? Seriously, I got to ask you. It's I enjoy Eric a lot, and I've had him on here and just having conversations. I enjoy it. Working with him every day. <laughs> what is it like? Um, so it's, yeah, I'm off there at seven o'clock Eastern time every night, right? My wife and I have made a habit over the 12 year period. That's kind of when we get ready to eat dinner. And every time I walk out now for the last year, she said, she says to me, did you guys get fired today? So (laughs) yeah, you you tell me (laughs) if you gotta be on your toes, man. Um, but yeah, it's been good. I, I'll tell you what, man, the, the one thing about Eric, and, and you probably know this uh, as well as I do, guys, a soccer, uh, his, the way he thinks about the game. I mean, this guy's a genius, the way he thinks about the game. And he's been tied in. And, you know, I, I get people get caught up in all the other stuff and some of maybe the wacky comments and, and ideas and all that. But just working with him every day and having a chance to you know, break down games and it, it's been fun, man. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Oh, that's awesome, Tony. And, and you don't get to hear that enough and that you hear that, that sophistication and that nuance in what he's talking about. He really sees it from a, a, a real educated pair of eyes that have seen so much, not to mention, as you said, you know, people think about some of the, the, you know, how he, he gets after people, which I love too. It's accountable and, uh, it's it's a good listen. I always enjoy, it. and I'm very proud that I get to to pop in with you guys from time to time. Well said. Love it, man. Love it. And, I, and now I, now I can visualize the seven o'clock Eastern time. <laughs> <laughs> we we yeah. we we survived, honey. Another show. <laughs> it, well, you, that's exactly that's been the response a bunch of times. So you, and I don't know if you got a speaker in my house that you're listening to, <laughs> but that's really been it. <laughs> well, this is, it's been great, obviously, being part of the soccer community and Sirius XMU does a great job. And from the morning to counterattack, which is like the show of record in the afternoon and so many more outlets where you can get the sport. And, so, you know, everyone's talking about the main food topics you know, we every, we tune in every week to the leagues in Europe and the midweek and the Champions League and we all stop when the national team plays and they got to play against Ghana and 
last night. So we're recording this on a actually I can't remember what day. It's Wednesday. Tuesday, so they wrap up the October window. We'll, we'll, I guess we could talk about both games. Of course, Tony, a decorated former U.S. Men's National Team international, and a keen eye for what is the U.S. has done in the past and what they're moving forward. Just generally speaking, how have you seen this group, or your excitement level for where this team is and where they're going, things that you've, you see that they still need to, to really attack to, I guess – um reach their potential well first i think it's it's good to end this um october camp with a win right i think that's important right because regardless of what greg berhalter and his group are working on they're, they're, they're clearly, clearly working on something to build towards Copa america and then obviously the world cup 2026 so players always want to feel that the work that they're putting in is justified. And the way you justify things is by winning something, right? That's just how athletes think. And I, and I think, so it's important in that respect, they played a, a Ghanaian side and I saw all the comments and there's, there's, um, there's some plays you look at and say, this Ghanaian team didn't want to be here. Well, if, if you allow them to want to be here, um, then it's a <laughs> different good. story. But the U.S. didn't allow them to stick around, especially in that first half. And um, the, the, the one thing, I, I think you know me long enough, I don't get too high about something like this, and I certainly don't get too low about something like the Germany match. I just don't. Um, and, and I think I'm, I'm a little more level-headed to understand that you know, Germany, quite honestly, when you look at their team, it's a more experienced team. It's, uh, it's guys that um that, that have been around the block and this is still a young u.s team it's not an excuse at all and i don't ever use that as, as an excuse but i think we have to now see them grow through this cycle um with that said um i, I think overall it was a decent camp it was it was okay um you could probably put in a bucket three pretty good halves of playing uh minus uh the second half of the germany match yeah and i think if you do that now if it's World Cup qualifying, um, having three three or four halves, you might you might be on a losing end of things, right? Because that one half kind of bit you somehow. But I, I think all in all, a positive camp uh, with regards to where they have to go. Um, they got to get better in all areas uh, before before 2026. I almost said 1994. And wow. about the World Cup in 94. Yeah, I don't know why. It almost came out of my mouth. That's a serious <laughs> time warp, Miola. I know. Yeah, yeah. That's just me stuck, I, I guess, is what it is. Um, but It was a good time for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no doubt. Um, I think uh, we've got to eventually get to where um, we, we, we're we getting an idea of who our center back pairing is. I think that's really, really important. We clearly have a number one goalkeeper in Matt Turner. Um who what we've had in the past is we've had number one goalkeeper we've had a really solid number two and oftentimes we've had a really solid number three we don't have that right now so we need a little bit of depth mm -hmm. in that area um you know greg berhalter has said um i guess it was mid-summer about when they announced him coming back that at one point they would work with three in the back i really think max with the center backs that we have in this group as a whole we need to figure out how to play with three center backs and play with two wing backs because when I look at Serginho Dest, um, I see um, I see a winger who plays as a fullback, right? That, that's who I see. We have Anthony Robinson on the other side who's also played that way at Fulham 
um, in his career who can get up and down the sideline? Or is it the, the, the new kid, Lund? Is it, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of players um, that fit the style. Who knows what's happening with Tyler Adams right now, but I think in the long run, if he can get back to being fully healthy, you put him and, and Musa in the middle of the field, guys like that, or even Weston McKinney. The problem with playing with three in the back yeah. is either McKinney, um, Tyler Adams, a healthy Tyler Adams, or Eunice Musa, one of them has to sit. Yeah. And that's painful for U.S. fans to think about right now. What? But it might be the best thing. Let me stop you there because that would – you didn't mention Gio Reyna. So that would mean a three in the back would benefit him to stay. Because, look, after that game last night – and, again, I don't want to get too high or too low, but just seeing him – he didn't put a foot out of place. All his balls were perfectly weighed. He was in complete control of himself and where he wanted this game to go. Uh, he – it seems to me I – mean, this is a two-pronged question. It seems to me he's a lockdown starter now. Um, and that was – if there's something you take away based on what happened prior to this camp and the the miss, the lack of communication between Greg Berhalter and Gio Reyna and whatever they've done, they've obviously resolved some of that to the point where Gio can start two games, which he did, and when he came off, the offense didn't quite click again. It was It was – it was clear as day. So I, he seems to me like a lockdown starter, which I think a lot of people thought but prior, but because of what happened, maybe it wasn't the case. So um, is that a means to keep Gio Reyna in there? I would I would say I was kind of hindsight, but in the Germany game when they had a great first half, I was, why don't we play with three in the back? I know people were were in disarray when we did that at the World Cup, but it it served a purpose. It was effective. And it makes Sergio Dest, who was remarkable last night, also perhaps more effective. But I guess a two-prong, I, 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 well, maybe one-prong question, because I, I kind of agree about the three center backs, because they got a little exposed in that second half. And it accentuates the positives like Dest and Anthony Robinson. But does that also keep Gio Reyna in that engaged position? And just in general, speaking of Gio Reyna, how, how confident do you feel of him moving forward? Yeah, look, I, I think he's he's a starter when he's healthy. There's no doubt about it. And we go back to the World Cup, and, and if you can kind of forget all the, the, let's call it BS, right, that went on. Great word um, for it. Do you remember when, when Gio went back to his club after the World Cup? He didn't play because his manager said he wasn't healthy. Right? Yeah. We forget that because we got caught up in everything else that happened. But we forget Gio didn't play at his club team because he wasn't healthy. So I'm, I'm led to believe that we didn't really have a healthy, and I say that in air quotes, right? We didn't have a healthy Geo at the World Cup. So moving forward from there, for me, he's a starter. And the three guys that need to be on the field for me are, are Geo, Christian, and Balogun. Those, are, those for me are the three guys that are irreplaceable. The rest of the oh, – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw Matt Turner in that conversation yeah. too. I, I was just thinking attacking players. But anyway, I'm going to throw him in that conversation. The rest of them all for me can be rotated. I don't care if it's Adams or Musa or McKinney. Um, you know who's growing into that, can't replace him right now, is, is Tim Weah. I, I, I'm starting yeah. to think that – and what Gio has done is opened up the game for Christian Pulisic. He's opened up the game for um, uh, for Timothy Weah, and eventually those guys will figure out a way 
uh, to open up the game for Baladon and figure out his runs in behind it. If those little darting runs in behind um, center backs are off the shoulder of, of two of the defenders. And by the way, what a, what a decision to spin last night, you know, Balogun. Yeah. I mean, on, I mean, just a great, that's a goal scorer's goal. That's a sense of the defender's going to block my shot if I hit it first time. So I kind of fake, the defender bites. I spin around. I know he can't catch me, and then I shoot in an open goal. I mean, that that's that's a goal scorer's finish. Um, and I I think we, we need to. But for me, important. We've gone into World Cups in the past. We we pretty much knew our goalkeepers, or we had two really good goalkeepers battling for a position, and we always knew our center backs. Um, I'd love to get to a point where. We're coming into camp knowing that we have the two center backs and other guys are just fighting to get minutes um, in games. We don't have that right now. Still, still, um, we're still in that experimental phase. To, to mention that about Gio Reyna freeing up Christian Pulisic, I think we saw it there. I thought that was Balogun's maybe best performance outside of some stretches in the Nations League earlier this year. Uh, that's where he looked more comfortable. I give Gio Reyna a lot of that credit too, because there was some balls there. He could have had more than one goal. He was he's been involved in the passing. So we 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 you mentioned the five players. Let's put in Way in there because I would agree with that. So Wea, Reyna, Pulisic, Balogun, uh, and Matt Turner. I think that's important to leave the center back pairing up for grabs because I think some folks thought Reem Richards, hey, lock it in. We haven't seen enough from Chris Richards. I think not playing for his club's a big part in that. Serginho Dest may be leaning into that as well, but the, the, we saw that against the Germans too. I mean, he got lit up defensively in an important game. Yeah, I don't know if you could put that in there. Uh, it's uh, it's it's really interesting. But how important is that competition? Because you've been there for those national teams, and how often do you have guys that go, "Hey, you are our guy. You don't have to look around." Let's say Flo Balogun, because some people were saying Ricardo Pepe, and Pepe didn't have the best October window. Yeah. Um, I, are those conversations that go on and says, don't worry, you are the guy. You are where we we always want competition, but we know that you are not going to be replaced. But how do how do you approach that in a training camp to encourage competition, which at the end of the day is really going to help this team? Because you would imagine uh, it will lift all efforts amongst the team. Yeah, it's it's really important. I do think now with the shortened windows. Um, your competition has to come at your club level. Like you have to have that on a daily basis. And I, I'm, I'm still a believer here um, that, and, and I said this just to go back so people have a little bit of history. The day that the U.S. got knocked out against the Netherlands, Eric Winald and I went on Sirius and we, we were the first show coming on live. We were the post-game show. And by the end of the show, you know, we basically said, okay, well, 2026 is the next target, right? That's our next thing. We're out of 2022. Now we move forward. I still think we have to get to, and we did this exercise uh, yesterday on air um, between the German national team and our team that played the, the starters against Germany. We have five guys in that starting lineup that are substitutes playing minimal minutes on the national team. Yeah, that can't be. I, That's no yeah. wiggle room on that, right? There's no, they yeah, have to play. Or they don't play yeah, for the national no. team. Now, it's if you're gonna if we're gonna preach that this is the deepest team and the most talented team that we've ever had, then for me, you know, Joe Scally doesn't play all the time. Chris Richards, you mentioned, doesn't play all the time. Split it up however you want with Weston McKinney and Timothy Weah, right? They're they're substituting each other at Juventus 
at a right wing back position with three in the back. Uh, Yunus Musa, my club at AC Milan, he's gotten, I think he's gotten the most like 70 minutes recently, but he's played sparingly um, in his club. Gio Reyna, he's not playing at Dortmund, right? These are his first minutes. See, that's, in yeah. You know what I'm saying? So when we get to 2026, I still think everyone who's playing needs to be a starter at their club. And it's great. We have does that include players. does that include goalkeeper? Because I don't think we have that problem because Absolutely. Matt Turner didn't play with it. But I, I for some reason, Tony, and you're the goalkeeper here. The goalkeepers are given the benefit of the doubt. Because I think there was the Swedish goalkeeper also wasn't a starter and he played. So there's a couple examples, but goalkeeper included. Yeah, I was worried in the World Cup because we had a Matt Turner that played seven games leading up to the World Cup. And that's not enough for me. I'm worried about Ethan Horvath, who was the backup to Matt Turner at his club team, who's now the third goalkeeper. Now he's the backup. We never had this with the national team. So a little bit concerned in, in that area as well. But my, my point is, I think we need to have guys that are starters at their club. I think that's the only – you look at this – take Germany. They're all starters at their club, every one of those guys. They're playing. You don't come into the German national team pretty much unless you're coming off an injury. And, you know, Gio's an exception because he's just getting healthy. And the minutes that he had in this camp were predetermined minutes uh, between Dortmund and the U.S. men's national team. He was going to go 45 in both games and try and get 90 minutes in a week and now try and build on this. Uh, I think he had only had uh, 30 or 33 minutes at, at Dortmund over the last uh, couple of weeks. So they're building him slowly. So he's a guy you bring into camp because you know how important he is to the team. Um, you know, look, look at look at the difference of Christian Pulisic right now and, yeah. and his play. I mean, this just goes to show you. Shot out of a cannon. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. And and, and I, I'm, I'm loving it because I get to – he's at my club. My, I've been an AC Milan fan my entire life. So I'm watching him week in and week out. Um so, but you see the difference, right? Who'd have ever thought Tim Ream? Think about Tim Ream. I, he he arguably was the best player we had at the World Cup in 2022, and he he first off we didn't think he was going to make the team. A couple injuries get him there, but because of the fact that he had played every single game for Fulham, I think every minute. Yeah, it showed for Fulham for a year and a half. Exactly, it showed. So there's the, if if Tim Ream is a substitute at Fulham for that year and a half before. There's no way in my mind he plays the way that he did. Uh, the Geo thing, because they're going to be more important games, and I agree with you 100%. And I think it, 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 it's, it showed with certain players that you need to that they need to be completely confident, especially to come into big games, which are coming here in 2024. The November Nation League's games are big. You've got a rule with an iron fist, right? Because you want to qualify for Copa America. I mean, perish the thought there's any complications in those November games and the U.S. has to wait to qualify. That's going to be bad news. The last thing Greg Berhalter wants. So we mentioned all that. Just revisiting Gio Reyna. He's not playing with his club. Uh, if And they had to navigate that here with 45 minutes they did a good service to him. They they got him some confidence, which he needed to go back to club where he can play. He's got some good video where Terzic could look at it and say, all right, maybe we could use him. I, I don't know if that's going to change. But, I uh, mean, we, from everything I've seen at Dortmund, he's not going to start playing more. If he does, he might start playing a little bit. He's not going to start starting. Um, how much, I mean, is this something that he has to go into those, the powers of P? I go, I got to go. I got to find a club where I'm going to play. 
Yeah, I, I think I would think there's a conversation about that, right? And, and yeah, um, you would you hope. Know, I'm, you you know who knows the situation and who knows what they're telling him there. But I, I'm with you. It doesn't look like he's going to go in. If, if they have a midweek game, you know, if they have a Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, um, you could see him getting a start in those games. But I wouldn't call him a starter in that group, right? You, you might get 60, 70 minutes. But they're just trying to build him. Look, I think it's four or five times where he's had setbacks now over the last two years. And if you're going to be careful with one guy, it's going to be him. Having said that, players need to play, Right. If you're healthy, you need to play, and then you need to build your fitness. Problem is when you're when you're at a team that's that's looking to challenge for a title, as his team is in the Bundesliga, you're not really giving out gifts, right? You're not well. well this guy needs to get fit. Like if you're in the middle of the table, you're like, oh, maybe I'd change this guy because he's a good attacking player. He's in a completely different uh, moment in his in his time at, at Dortmund. Um, we saw at the end last day, well, we'll call it Bundesliga decision day last year. I don't know if they, well, I don't know what they call it. In that's Germany, a, but, I, I think you've got a new, I think that's got a good ring to it, Tony. Yeah. 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 So Bundesliga so decision saw, day, we, you know, Dortmund blew the title last year, but Gio in the 20 minutes that he was in tried to gain it back for him. And I think, you know, he was incredible in that match. And had he played 30 more minutes, who knows what it'll look like, but yeah, you got to be really careful with him. But for the national team, for me, Max, he's a starter. Yeah, and for those who, because Tony pointed out he wasn't healthy, um, he he was alienated a fair bit from his team because the way he was behaving, and we heard that from the players and some of the reports. So for anyone saying we could have had this at the World Cup, that is that's not the case. He wasn't ready. He's ready. You can see he's a, he's a young player. He's growing into things. Um, I, I always take myself back if I can. I mean, it's hard to remember that far back when you're 19, 20 years old, um, how you react to things. But clearly, um, he's gone through a lot and he's processing it. And he's, yeah. this is a good indicator. And Max, just just on on this, I, I, I hear people people call on all the time and, you know, that we, they talk about this situation. And, and I've been so over this for, for months. And I, I said at the beginning, all this BS, because it's kind of how I feel about it, to be honest. Um, it's not it's not my cross to bear. It's their family's cross to bear, all that stuff. Um, people are like, well, we need an apology. We need some statements. Like, Do you really care? Like, Let it go like, away. Yeah, like it, because then you're opening up the wound again, first of all. But how many coaches and managers, uh, 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 managers and players don't like each other around the world? Oh, 100%. 100%. Like, and don't talk to each other. And play yeah. coexist, but don't talk to each other. People, people think that that's like a. This is the first time it's ever happened. Yeah, and, and and players and players who don't like each other. All oh yeah. Do like for me in in this case, I need we need as a national team. We need Geo to continue to get better and do everything he can to when he gets to the national team and perform well and and try and well, give a hundred percent. Right? Who knows? Sometimes you play a bad game. That's just the way it goes. And we need for Greg to make decisions. Not based on his relationship with Gio, um, we need to, him to make decisions that are best for the national team. Like that's all I really want. I don't care if they like each other. Um, I hope that they do. It's not. I'm not trying to be um, mean spirited about this. I hope that they like each other, and, and that's a bonus. But if they don't talk to each other, as long as they're doing the right thing when they're with the national team, that's what it is. Look. I, I, I played for Carlos Alberto Perea, who, who won the World Cup in 1994. He was my coach at the Metro Stars for a short period of time. Just a great, great guy. And 
he talks about players. And, yeah, I used to ask him about that team because we got knocked out by Brazil in the World Cup. So we had a lot in common to talk about. He said Bebeto and Romario couldn't sit at the same table. Wow. They hated each other. He said, but all I was worried about was in training. And he said, in training, when one of them did something or when they scored a goal in a game, they were the first to hug each other. He said, but they couldn't sit at the same table. That's how much they disliked each other. Right. But if you just watch the game, you never knew. And that's what I want with the geo. Like, I'm, I'm glad Max were past the first, like the first start, the first camp we're in. Like, let's get past all of that. And let's just talk about let's just get to the point where we're not thinking about that anymore. We're thinking about, OK, Greg did X, Y and Z tactically good or bad. And Geo did X, Y and Z in the game, good or bad. And we're just talking about players and coaches. Right. Yeah, and what a handbrake that would be if people go, hey, Greg, we want a public uh, discourse. I go, no, we don't. I don't want to hear any details about it. I want this to go away and move forward for Gio's sake, for Greg's sake, for the team's sake. And by the way, it's kind of refreshing because Bebeto Romario were such big powerhouse players. Uh, sometimes when you're the, the top at your game, you, you don't you see that guy is kind of like the threat who's going to, if you sit at the table, he's going to get the good meat, right? He's gonna get the he's gonna get the good cuts. So uh, it's almost like it's 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 not healthy all the way, but there's a healthiness to it because you want those players to feel like they're number one. So there you go. Uh, by the way, I know I was one of those people about the Ghanaian effort because I was I my jaw dropped when I saw the first three goals all came off of like horrible pl- defensive plays, and even the fourth one, which was that really nice geo uh, the indirect free kick. Um, or direct was a direct free kick, indirect free kick. Um, it was where he just fell on the ball. It was very odd. But to your point, you know, if Ghana doesn't want to be there, you just smash him. And they did that. It was four zip. Who knows what it could have looked like in the second half if the U.S. still had uh, their foot on the pedal. But it was weird. And I mean, I looked at that Ghanaian squad. I mean, this was it wasn't like their their kids. You have Inyaki Williams, who's their best forward. Uh, Jordan Ayew is a legendary figure. Thomas Partey, best midfielder. Mohamed Kudus, probably their best player. Uh, I don't know what was going on. Maybe they don't want to travel much. Maybe they're having some issue with their manager. Uh, but there was, it was weird. But I love the fact that the U.S. identified that and went for it. So I won't bring that up too much. But it was odd. Did, it, did that strike you at all, just how easy it was for the U.S.? Well, again, I go back to the U.S. made it really difficult for for Ghana. You know, even they're trying to build out. And some people look at it as a defensive mistake when Timothy – I look at it as an an attacking mistake because if you're a team that wants to build from the back, your attack basically starts when the goalkeeper gets the ball and you roll it out. And and this one was a pass out wide and Timothy Weah pounces on it and and they they made you pay. If you look at the the real difference between the two first halves of these games – um, the U.S. took advantage of every mistake. Good starters. That, yeah, that that Ghana made on the night, and then all of a sudden, you're you're in the U.S. You know, you're like we're down three nil after whatever it was, twenty minutes or so, twenty two minutes, and you're, you're like, holy cow! Or actually, it was uh, yeah, it was twenty two minutes. Uh, you're down three nil. Then you don't want to be there anymore. I don't care who you are. You, you really don't want to be there. It's not a survival game. It's not a knockout game. It's a it's a friendly match and. And credit to, to Greg's side um, for taking advantage of that. Because against Germany, truth be told, if the U.S. had scored two goals in that first half against Germany, it wouldn't have been unfair. 
right? The no. Offside, maybe wasn't offside for Christian Pulisic. I don't think it was a penalty kick, but there was the ball that came across that was mishit by Balogun. Okay, Pulisic. Yeah, we talk about defensively for the U.S. in the Germany game. Can you imagine what Ulian Nagelsmann is thinking when Christian Pulisic is dribbling at six players with no help at all? And he finds a way to get a shot off with six white jerseys in front of him. What a what a moment! Defensive mistake. You're like, holy cow! If you really think about the biggest defensive mistake in that game, that's probably it. Um, and Christian took advantage of. But all in all, I, I think I think we're going in the right direction. I said after 2018, you know, I'd been with the U.S. Uh, youth national team programs with all with a majority of these players. I said after that after that night in Trinidad and, you know, the whole six months after that, that this team is built for 2026. That doesn't mean you don't compete in 2022, but we're going to really have an idea of where this group is in 2026, because these players are going to be in their prime. And don't think for one minute, Max, um, that in 2026, there's somebody, and I don't know who that somebody is, that's not on this roster right now, that's going to be part of the World Cup, like which, by the way, would be a really good thing for us if yeah. we get displaced. I said in 2022, um, and I said this about 26, back then in 2018, I said if Christian Pulisic, who was young at that time, if Christian Pulisic is still our best player and by head and shoulders the best player, we're not in a good position as a team. I think yeah. we've gotten to a point. He's the leader. He's still the best player for me. But the margin has closed. The gap has closed between his level and the rest of the group. And I think that's obviously a really good thing for us. Uh, it's just good stuff everywhere. The U.S. Uh, under-23s were in Phoenix. They beat Japan. And just that roster, I mean, it's exciting because we cover MLS, these young MLS players grabbing that responsibility because the Olympics, too. And by the way, I, I, I'm glad we have the Olympics on our calendar. It's just more games for our national teams um, it's going to feed into everything in 2026, and we've already seen so much growth. Uh, I just listening to Weston McKinney or Matt Turner do interviews. They they don't sound like you know starry eyed like they might have before the 2022 World Cup. They're grown men. They have experience playing overseas, playing in a World Cup. They all have had it, and that is going to be huge. Uh, you could probably answer more than I could about playing a World Cup, how that prepares you moving forward. But this team, the youth national team, had uh, Brian Reynolds, Caleb Wiley, who we rate so highly, Paxton Aronson, Benjamin Kr Benjamin Kramaski, um, a great goal by Duncan McGuire, Obed Vargas, and so many of these other guys on our national team that are eligible for the Olympics. So I'm not going to go crazy about the Olympics, but just the player pool looks great. And the the fact that we, you know, when we didn't qualify for the World Cup, we weren't in these competitions where we are. And this is a, uh, this has to be, a, a wonderful tool for the coaches and not only that, but get players that may not make a Copa America squad or a world cup squad chances to play important games. I mean, what else is on the gold medal? It's huge. Yeah. And you know, your, your television partner, my old radio partner, Brian Dunsett has been preaching about this for years, right? He, he's, he's Mr. Olympics. About, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's like, we can't miss these cycles. These are really important games. This is the, this is the, the bridge, right, between being a youth national team player and potentially a national team player. And, um, you know, we've already had – Christian Pulisic has already said he wants to be part of the Olympics, right? He wants to – then all of a sudden – who knows what U.S. soccer is going to do because 
um, Copa America and the Olympics do not overlap. I wrote them down yesterday. Um, there's there's a time in between those two uh, 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 competitions. The problem is the the club teams don't don't have to right. um, release their players because it's not a FIFA um, a window. In a, and by the way, I agree. Listen, I, I'd love Christian Pulisic to play both, but realistically, he shouldn't. Because I think I've seen, I saw some of the Brazilian players do it. And when they got back, like he, Charlison, when he got back to his club, he was a non-factor for a bit. So I would, I would discourage yeah. that. I mean, maybe you, you, you'd make a one-off, but it's not going to be good for Christian Pulisic at Milan if he does both. Yeah, but, but you know, then, then you're like, okay, well, the leader, let's call him the leader, right, of our national team, just like Neymar. By the way, you mentioned that Brazilian. Neymar would want to, would put his hand up for both. Neymar did it. He did yeah. it in Brazil, and he ends up scoring the penalty kick that wins the, the wins the Olympics for them, and the drama and all of that stuff. So, but you start looking at the group of players that are eligible to play for the Olympic team. You're like, you can pretty much with your three wild cards, you can pretty much have a full national team playing in the Olympics. Now, how does that help those other guys that are there now to develop? And 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 because that's what we're talking about that bridge, but. If the U.S., think about what Mexico did two times, right? They sent their best players they could to the Olympics. They won that. They won the Olympics twice. I mean, they've got two major trophies in the cabinet. Um, so it's a matter of theory and how you how you want to do it. But, yeah, I, either way, we need to be part of the Olympics and in, in, in playing in this competition. Oh, good stuff, Tony. Hey, I know you being a big AC Milan fan, did you tune into the game of the homeland with England, Italy? Uh what what's going on with the Italians, man? Are they going to yeah, miss? They going to miss another one? I I think we are. Um, I really do. I, I I'm just looking at Tony's face. I'm suing that he's shaking his head. I feel terrible. I brought it up. Well, no, no. I'm you know obviously it's the second team I support for for obvious reasons. I I just don't know that there's been a time like I'm going back just a couple of years to um, to the Euros. And where Italy was and where we thought they were going to go with that young group of players, I don't know that there's been a time in the last maybe 50 years that Italy looks so far behind England right now or so far behind some of these teams right now. Like, we've got – they've got, like, El Shirawi. I mean, he was – What is he doing? What the – that that floored me. One-year-old. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm like, Holy cow, like Skamaka's are now. I get there's there's the, the problems with Tonali and they've got some other guys that had to leave camp. Like I get all of that. So maybe we factor a little bit, but I'm looking at this and I'm like, man, we're in trouble. <laughs> Italy's Italy's in trouble, man. There was a play that you everyone saw the Harry Kingo where he literally stiff armed Alessandro Bastoni and there was no reaction. And I was like, This is in Italy. This is really odd. And I, for one, want Italy in these big competitions. That England-Italy Euro final to me was a World Cup final. It was that compelling. So we need that. But, man, I'll see Giorgio Chiellini at the LAFC trainings. We'll bring, I don't want to bring it up, but I'm sure he'll have some interesting things to say. I'll I share them with love, you. I, I would love to hear what he has to say about this team. <laughs> and, and just, no, just in general, what he has to say about the – because, look, he, he obviously can't help it. He's been around forever. And just, just where they're going – like, I would love to get – his thoughts on, hey, yeah, no, because sometimes you lose, Max, but you feel like your national team is going in the right direction. And sometimes you lose and you feel like the floor is falling out from underneath. I'd just like to get his thoughts on where he thinks this team is going. I will pass on. He's an absolute delight because he watches everything. He watches all the MLS games. 
So I would go up to him and goes, he goes, I, I saw St. Louis City and Austin. Uh, what the Tim Parker made. He's like, I, 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 how do you, you watch all, he watches it all. He really is. So you can't ask, you've been in this league, right? You can't ask for a <laughs> it's amazing. player to come in with a big name. You can't ask any more than them for them to be engaged in what they're doing. Right? He is. He is yeah, with that. great, man. Hey, uh, before I let you go, Tony, you've been involved with MLS this season, as I have. I, I've been really excited. Obviously, we had this arrival of Lionel Messi and hope to see him maybe this weekend in that final uh, Inter-Miami game. They're playing tonight, but he's he was obviously just playing Peru. And there is the League's Cup. Was great. You've been calling games for uh, Apple. You've called some games for Fox. You've been very busy with calling a lot of games. Um, you've been with this league from the beginning. Uh, you see what what's going on with MLS. Uh, what ex, what excites you? Where do you want to see some growth too? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously the messy thing excites me. By the way, he made a comment last night that essentially leads you to believe he's going to play in Charlotte. I would uh, I would imagine that that would be the case. Well, he mentioned he's a competitor. November camp, the November yeah. camp, where it's really important for them, right? So he he. And keep in mind, he's going to go to Charlotte and play on AstroTurf, right? So you talk about guys being committed. And, and uh, if you were going to duck out of the game, if you're Lionel Messi, would anyone have a problem if he said, yeah, no, Charlotte's no. really, really far from Miami and they got AstroTurf? <laughs> no, that that's a gnarly turf. I, I've never felt it under my feet, but when I see it on TV, it's got this it glimmer hard, where I'm like, right? it looks yeah. hard. Um, like the yeah, Portland um, one looks nice and kind of pillowy. Charlotte one looks hard. Yeah, let's get rid of it all anyway. Uh, yeah, it's all said and done. But but what what excites me um, is is the growth of the league. I mean, you know, this year you've probably traveled more than you have in the last couple of years. And I'm a, how many how many incredible stadiums have you been to? The best so, part of the trips, right? Oh my gosh, like I don't. I, all of these places are incredible, man. I go to St. Louis. All I do is stay in the hotel and go to the stadium. That's my visit. I'd like to do more things in St. Louis, but that's it. Same with Cincinnati. Oh, Cincinnati, I roamed around a little bit more, but, but that's but a great how place. Cool are these facilities that they've built now, and and the, the stadiums that they're playing in, and the atmospheres in these stadiums? And I love when foreign teams come over and foreign players. And I've had a lot of a lot of people over the last couple of years come from from Italy uh, with some friends of mine, and they they've seen some games, and they're like. This feels like Europe. Like this, this feels the same. Obviously, the play and some of it might be a little bit different, but the the atmosphere that excites me. Um, Messi being here excites me because I think it opens up the the door to to seeing other players that maybe we wouldn't see. Um, I, I, there's just so much great stuff going on. I'm interested what's happening in the playoffs this year with this. I love. I I was the biggest proponent for years of getting rid of series. And just going to knockouts, and I think it's been great. This is going to be interesting. We have the the. What, are we calling it the wild card or the playing game? I think they're calling it the wild card. I think. Yeah, well, so, let me confirm, but that's. Yeah, we're. I guess we'll confirm a little later today. We'll yeah, we have a we have all hands on deck Apple. meeting coming up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but we we've got this playing game, and then you've got the three game series. Then you go to a knockout. So I'm interested to see what that looks like, um, and how important home field advantage really is because. I thought what the knockouts did was made everyone. The, the big complaint was, well, with all these teams qualifying, the regular season doesn't mean anything. Well, they needed to make it mean something. So giving the, the higher seeded team home field should mean something in the end. 
Uh, last year was the first year, right? You know, I think it was 11 years that we had the top two teams, one from the East, one from the West, um, get to the finals. We didn't see it for 11 years because this league, there's so much parity. Do we see that again? Um, I, I, I don't know, but I mean, it, it has been so much fun uh, to, to, to cover this year because there, there's been so many storylines between Cincinnati and I, and I told my, my two teams about two months ago, I said, Look, you know, we uh, Nate Bucati, my my partner, uh, asked me on Fox one night. He said, "Who are teams you're looking at moving forward that maybe we're kind of sleeping on, right? Because everyone knows that Cincinnati was good this year, and everyone knows what St. Louis did in their story. And LAFC, could they get back? And Philly, I said Orlando and Houston. I've been on that that wow. ride for I've been on this ride for two two and a half months now. Um, <laughs> and Orlando, I think is sneaky, man. I think we've kind of fallen asleep. And look. They've qualified for for uh, what are we calling it? Champions Cup now, right? Champions as Cup the, as the second, uh, you know, support uh, supporter shield, uh, second best in the supporter shield. And um, don't be surprised, man, if they if they make a run in this thing. Yeah, they're fun to watch both of those teams, and they've got depth, which is going to come in handy. And I think this playoff format. Uh, as big of a difference as it was from last year where we were able to protect the top seeds. I think that kind of protects the top seeds in that opening round and the home field. And man, it, it, it's going to be, I don't think we're going to get the top two seeds at the end of it. And I, I like your Orlando Houston shout. I wouldn't be surprised if that is that, but it is, uh, I, I think it is going to position us for good games. People ask me, what do you think about the expanded playoffs? I go, I love it. I'm a broadcaster. <laughs> Make them even bigger. Make it a 64-team tournament. <laughs> Make it like the NCAAs. I'll love it. Uh, but we'll see. Great to chat with you, Tony. I remember you know, Hi, calling brother. a playoff game where you were with the Kansas City Wizards, and it was the LA Galaxy, and you were playing in Arrowhead. It was this huge stadium and a few people. And I was, I, I'm sure you were thinking the same thing. Where is this league going? And it's great to see everyone do it, but it's the work of people like you that have helped set that platform and moving forward. It's great that you're staying in the game and just a great person to talk to about uh, all things sports. So you can listen to Tony on uh, counterattack every day on Sirius XMU channel, Sirius XM, Sirius XM FC. I listen to my alternate rock on Sirius XMU, Sirius XM FC channel 157. I'll talk to you later, Tony. All the best, my friend. Appreciate you, my man. (laughs) Tony Viola. We'll be back with check complete to talk about Los Angeles potentially being out of World Cup hosting completely. That's next on the Soccer OG. Time now for Check Complete, and I rolled up to see my new favorite NFL team, the Los Angeles Chargers. My NFL fandom has been, it's been back and forth. It's a long story, but I don't lose sleep whether the Chargers win or lose, but I was a little disappointed. They lost to the Dallas Cowboys. During the broadcast, John Sutcliffe, and I follow ESPN Deportes, it was a, a tweet, and he was going, John Sutcliffe, here at SoFi Stadium, Monday Night Football. You know, he does that. It's, it's great. It's very entertaining. And I heard it. He said that SoFi Stadium is no longer being considered for the final. In fact, it's not going to be considered for any World Cup games. I texted a bunch of friends. I had Hercules Gomez. I go, did I hear that correctly? And then I tweet, and I think my tweet, because nobody was reporting it, my tweet saying that John Sutcliffe said it got picked up. My tweet, Twitter game, is not what it once was. 
<laughs> Getting old. People don't want to read my tweets all the time. But anyway, it was picked up because no one else was reporting that. But I spun it over to John Sutcliffe. And then the news started coming out. And then there was a lot of erroneous news. And we, although it's not final, uh, we're right now standing hearing that L.A. may miss out. All of L.A., not just SoFi Stadium, because the Rose Bowl wasn't in those initial biddings. SoFi Stadium was the candidate. It was going to be out after a dispute with FIFA. And then the erroneous reporting, I believe it was, about the, uh, I think it's involved in the discussions that uh, some security, um, some luxury boxes and part of the stands would have to be removed in order to play soccer. We knew this already. We thought this was resolved, and I think it was. It had to be resolved for SoFi to be blessed with being one of the 16 stadiums to host games in the 2026 World Cup. It was blessed. So when we heard last year that they said these stadiums would host World Cup games, these cities would host World Cup games, we figured that was resolved. And I still believe it was resolved, but it's being dragged back in this story, and people are going, Stan Kroenke, he screwed up. Why couldn't he make a... Uh, parameters for a soccer stadium. Listen, we can call Stan Kroenke a bunch of things. We can call Stan Kroenke. He is not a dumb person. He knows building that. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew what he could move in order to play soccer games there because he knows the World Cup is coming there because he's involved in soccer. He's probably involved more in soccer than any of the other owners of any of the stadiums with the exceptions of the ones in Mexico and in uh, Canada. Um... Well, just the, Me the so they have, no, just the Mexico ones, Atlanta, Boston, the rest aren't really involved in soccer as Stan Kroenke is. He's not a dummy. So he knows this is going on. So this is not the reason 2026 is, or SoFi is not on the list potentially anymore to host World Cup games. I was reading on The Athletic, a few other articles, and there is a loggerheads without question about uh, profit distribution. And maybe that is connected to the fact that Stan Kroenke is losing a piece of the pie by getting rid of some luxury boxes and some of the seating inside SoFi Stadium. And he wants some of the pie off of FIFA. So, look, I know they're, Stan Kroenke's greedy. That's how he's one of the richest people on the planet. But don't tell me FIFA's not overstepping their hand because that's what they do. That's what FIFA does. They want all the money. They want all the control. They have us all by the short and curlies when it comes to World Cups. They threaten us by holding World Cups. They go, do you really want it? Jump through this hoop. Do this, do that. Sometimes these owners, and FIFA have said it themselves in a report, that the tenacity of the U.S. owner is a little off-putting. Well, I'm sorry. FIFA wants the cake and eat it too and everything. And if these owners are pushing back because they want a little more control or profit distribution, then... I don't know exactly what's on offer, but get whatever you can, because FIFA certainly is. They want every penny. They want control of these stadiums, and they get it. You sign off with FIFA, whether it's a broadcaster or, or a stadium, um, FIFA gets all the control because that's how they are. We're FIFA. We control this. It's our competition. Take it or leave it, because if you leave it, then someone else will take it, and that's usually the, the rule, and that's how people get bids. That's how people get stadiums, et cetera, et cetera, but... You cannot have a World Cup in, Los, in the United States and not have a game in Los Angeles. It is absolute ridiculous and nonsense. You cannot. 
that is part of it. And the reason being, but these are the cities that we're having World Cup games. Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City, Miami, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Seattle, Guadalajara, Mexico City, Monterrey, Toronto, Vancouver, Los Angeles, potentially. We are serving our visitors and our tourists for the World Cup. And this is where the visitors coming to the United States want to go. This is the top list. This is my, I'm just saying this, but I'm pretty confident about my results. Los Angeles, Las Vegas, San Francisco, Chicago, which is also not a host city because they weren't involved. They don't want to be involved. It doesn't really matter. They have to be involved because people want to visit it. And it's one of our big cities. New York, Miami, Orlando. LA, Las Vegas, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, Miami, Orlando. Those are the big seven that visitors want to go to. All right? I, I love all the cities here. Dallas and Atlanta. Um, Boston, which could be Gillette Stadium. Doesn't matter. They can visit Kansas City. Beautiful places. Visitors are not jumping over each other to go there. Visitors from overseas want to go to those big cities. And you know where else they want to go? National parks. Which Los Angeles. <laughs> San Francisco. Las, Las Vegas has some great national parks there. Um those three because we don't have a western contingent without la and without las vegas you have seattle and you have santa clara and san francisco and that's it and everything else is kind of in the eastern seaboard that's a no-go it's a non-starter you can't have a world cup here without los angeles hosting it so if it's not going to be sofi let it be the rose bowl but they don't want it to be the rose bowl the rose bowl didn't bid so it has to be sofi so fifa's got to concede here if they, I would be shocked if in a couple weeks we don't figure out SoFi's okay and they're back on the list because FIFA has to think about it long and strong. They can't have a World Cup because they would look ridiculous. If you have a Brazil World Cup, you better have games in Rio and Sao Paulo. If you have games in Germany, you better have games in Munich and Berlin and Köln. Uh, all due respect to Gelsenkirchen, it's not on there. Those are the big cities you have to go to and in the history, that's where these games have been. When you had a World Cup in 1994, the final was in uh, Los Angeles at the Rose Bowl. When you had it in 1999 for the women, the final was in Los Angeles on the Rose Bowl. Not only should SoFi come back here, but they should get the final. This talk about Jerry's world just doesn't make sense. It would be the first World Cup where you didn't have it in a major city and a major venue for the sport, whether it's in Italy, in Milan, or Rome. This is, what, this is the rule. Sorry, FIFA. And in L.A. in particular, because everything that was said about FIFA beforehand was saying that L.A. was going to be a hub, was going to be important. We're going to channel this in for the Los Angeles Olympics being um, staged here in 2028. This is no wiggle room. Figure it out because you're going to have some major egg on your face. You've had it before. If Los Angeles is not part of this World Cup and it should be a big part of it and it should be hosting the final, at the very least hosting a semifinal, not completely out. And Las Vegas should be in two. You should have thought about that because these visitors are going to be going to Vegas whether there's games there or not. They're going to be coming to Los Angeles whether there's games there or not. But why make that difficult on them? That's the cities we want to showcase. That's where the majority of our Americans live. So we're doing it for the tourists. We're doing it for the locals because 20% of the American population lives near Los Angeles, New York, and Chicago, I believe. I'm telling you, man, don't mess with this one. And... John Sutcliffe also said the World Cup opener is going to be at the Estadio Azteca at 3 o'clock local time, which means they're probably putting a European team in there, which is great. Exciting. More news to come. I can't believe that they would leave L.A. out. I cannot believe it. 
and I refuse to believe it. And I, I'm confident that in a few days this will be resolved. And yes, Stan Kroenke's greedy, but I like the fact that he's holding his ground. It's not about the field, I can assure you. It's not about the field. It's about greed. Soccer OG, rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend. We're going to be going full steam ahead. Great guests coming up. Wrapping up Major League Soccer, I'll be in St. Louis this week. And come out and say hello if you were at City Park. Till I meet you again, this is Max Barreto saying, Placido Domingo.